Hi, and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. I'm Emma. And I'm Tash. Ooh. Hello. <laughs> what was that? Kiwi. <laughs> Kiwi. What do they do on a uh, frozen? Yoo-hoo. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Big summer blowout. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. <laughs> when will that ever be an episode when we don't reference a Disney film? Never. Never. Never enough, never, never. Oh, that's on Disney Plus now. Is it? The Greatest Showman, well, in the UK. Yeah, it is in France as well. We watched it the other day. I'd have to rewatch that. I love me a bit of Hugh Jackman. That's oh. one sexy man. Listen, that's who should have been at my, uh, not my Hindu, but at the Hindu or bachelorette party for those who are not in the UK. Hugh Jackman should have been there in place of, let's call him Jeff. Oh, the guy you had to paint? Babe, we got Jeff from IT. (laughs) (laughs) From the IT crowd. (laughs) Honestly, this man, like, I don't want to talk about people's physiques because that isn't kind, but when you're doing an activity that we were doing, it was a Hindu, and we were painting what was supposed to be a naked body of a man. I do feel like your expectations are the Hugh Jackmans of the world, Channing Tatum. You know, we want a buff man. Do you know what I mean? We want six foot. We want ripped. We want you to have shaved your body because the paint's going to glide easier. We want, if you have to, we want you to stuff, you know, we don't want you to stuff your pants, but, you know... Put a sock down there. Let let a girl dream. You know, if that's what you've got to do, that's what you've got to do. Yeah, it wasn't the one. Instead, we had, as I say, Jeff from IT, who hopefully with his paycheck is going to go and get a pedicure. Yeah, that's what got me. Because when you initially sent me the photos, I was like, oh, he looks nice. He's had a kind face. Listen, he had a kind face. I don't want you to have a kind face when I'm painting your body. I want to look at you and not know whether you're going to slap the smirk off my face. Pull your hair. Or pull my hair. Do you know what I mean? That's what we want. We want someone that's a bit charismatic, that's got a bit of banter. Yeah. You know, when we walk in the room, we want you to be shaking your dick at us. (laughs) Jeff was just stood there like... And in today's IT cinema, we're going to talk about... Excel. Uh, Completed by the afternoon (laughs) and the entire history of the floppy disk. Here's a PowerPoint about how you can paint me. Watch the toenails, they're sharp. (laughs) Honestly, it just wasn't the one. And we paid a lot of money for it and there was only like two packs of paint between 13 people. I just feel like it's like when men go to a strip club and the strippers just stood in the corner. Like, get up there and dance for your money, babe. Oh, how sad. I feel so bad for the strippers stood in the corner. (laughs) It would be me. It would be me as a stripper. But Emma, respectfully, babe. I'd be in there, like, with my dressing gown. No. Don't look at me. You wouldn't be in there, though, because you know that that's not for you. It's definitely not for me. This is my argument, is that poor old Jeff. Maybe he was filling in. 
this is the conclusion we came to. He's Jeff from IT, and it was like, Jeff, now's your time to shine. Graham hasn't turned up. You've got you've got to take one for the team, mate. That's what we think happened. See, I was all for it until I saw the pick of the feet. And honest to God, if you saw the feet, people, you would understand. You would die a little bit inside. And as I say, I honestly, I don't want to be critical about somebody's looks, but it's just the expectation you have when you're paying for a service. You are expected a certain criteria. Tash wanted a Hugh Jackman and she got a Jeff. Yeah. With talons. Yeah. I don't know what to say, babe. Shit happens. But I would have found that funny. I would have giggled because it was so fucking ridiculous. It was so cringeworthy. Like, we were really pissing ourselves, but not in a good way. Yeah. I wanted to pee pissing myself with excitement. Yeah. And he was so hairy. Which was not practical. That's not practical when you're painting the body. At least have the chest shaved. I mean, I don't know how. I do not know how Jeff got all that paint off him. He also kept moving. Well, maybe it tickled. Listen, I tr- I wrote one thing on him and he kept moving. I went, can you just please stop moving? <laughs> oh, it's Gladys coming out. Yeah. I was like, do you want to stop moving? He's like, it tickles. I was like, surely you know this. <laughs> what was your dominatrix name again? Gladys Deeps Down. <laughs> Gladys Deeps Down. Yeah. I found one for you as well, Emma. Oh, like something like Bianca Swallows. Sounds more like a porn name, though. <laughs> and it's so untrue because Bianca definitely does not. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely sounds more porny than than Dominatrix. Should we not explain the story behind Gladys? Well, Gladys is my Dominatrix name. Gladys is Tasha's Dominatrix name. Or how we chose Gladys. Yeah. We'll explain away, babe. Go on. Gladys is Tasha's middle name. Did we tell you ever that it's not actually Tasha's middle name? No, I fully believed. I fully <laughs> believed that it was her middle name. <laughs> you bitches. <laughs> what was I to do? If it is your real name, I wasn't about to say, no, fuck off, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so I just accepted it. I was like, well... I saw you tried to fish and you were like a bit like, oh, is it? And I was like, yeah. I I think I was busy as well when those messages were coming through and I was just like, yeah, it's that. And then like carried on doing whatever I was doing. So I just accepted it. What did you want me to do? (laughs) Go, well, fuck off. No, it's not. And what if it was? I'm mildly offended. You don't know what my real middle name is, but that's fine. Well, I didn't know what Becky's was and she told me and I've completely forgotten it. So don't be offended. Okay. So, okay. So you all made me believe that Natasha's middle name was Gladys. <laughs> For like a week. But it just stuck as a dominatrix name. Yeah. Well, you know, I've taken on that persona now. So, you know. Yeah. Part of her personality now. We did get some suggestions for our dominatrix names. Did we? Oh, did we? Did we? <laughs> <laughs> what did they suggest? Okay, so our... <laughs> <laughs> what? Our suggestions are for Tash, Trixie Fist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> Becky. 
I really wish whoever has put that hidden camera up in my house would take it down. <laughs> Becky, your titsy smack. Fitsy smack. Titsy. Titsy. Titsy smack. Oh, titsy. <laughs> and then me, for some reason, my name is Leather Allure. Oh, I like it. It's classy. I'm very classy. Are you a madame? It's because Bianca doesn't swallow. <laughs> Bianca needs to man the fuck up. I think you've definitely got a madame's name. That's definitely high, a higher up yeah, name. Yeah, that's it. She's the fucking boss, isn't she? And we're yeah. just her like little minions. That's what that shit is. We do all the work and she rakes yeah. in our money. She rakes it in. <laughs> We're in pleather, she's in leather. <laughs> yeah. Leather Oh, I was getting fisted and swinging our tits. <laughs> You're just smacking people with your tits. <laughs> <laughs> Tasha's just fisting. I'm just fisting people. What the fuck? <laughs> I've got quite big hands. I don't imagine that would be comfortable. I just imagine you like sat down with two men on each arm. <laughs> Fuck me. Jesus. I'm not okay with this. Listen, normally I'm down for shit, but. Oh, dear me. Was there any other suggestions that are less graphic, perhaps? <laughs> no, that was the only suggestion we got. No. But we came up with Gladys Deep Down. Deeps, Deeps Down? Deeps Down, yeah. Deeps Down. I actually asked my husband for an idea for a dominatrix name for me. And we came up with Kitty, because obviously I have a lot of pussycats. Yeah, a lot of pussy, meh. My husband said, wanks well. I took it as a compliment that he said that, wanks well. I mean, good for you. But it's too much like Becky's, because Becky is Veronica Spankswell. Yeah, it is too much yeah. like Bex. We mixed it up with my actual last name. So we came up with Wankman, Kitty Wankman. I don't hate it. I quite like that. Kitty Wankman. I actually do prefer Leather Allure, though. Well, it's who you are now. Yeah. And you have to say it in in like a low Leather Allure. Like that. Right. Fisty and smacky. Uh, (laughs) Kitty, you mean. (laughs) Titty smack. No, you will be known now as Gladys and Veronica. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the episode about Australia when we were like, Gary, tell us everything about Australia. What's Australia Day? What are koalas like and all that? (laughs) Yeah. We asked him so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) We were, poor Gary. He did answer. And then me being me, like last week, I even forgot who I actually was. So (laughs) (laughs) you did. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to tell you what Gary said about Australia Day. He said they have fireworks and some of them do have like barbecues and stuff like that because it's the day that Captain Cook arrived in Australia, but not everybody celebrates it because it's also known as Invasion Day and a lot of Aboriginal people got murdered basically on that day. So it's not a happy day for everybody. Oh God. Which is fair enough. So yeah, there you go. That's what Australia Day is. And he said koalas are nice if they're in zoos, but you have to pay a fortune to go and cuddle them. And then I said, oh, I feel bad for the koalas. Yeah. 
that are just made to cuddle tourists all the time. But then he said so many get run down on the roads and stuff that it's actually like keeping the koala population going, having them in zoos. Oh, is it? Do they not run very fast? Well, I imagine not, but... He said he wouldn't like to cuddle a wild one because they've got massive claws. He did not mention the chlamydia. Ah. Uh, see, that's what I wanted to know, Gary. Gary. <laughs> I wanted to know about the chlamydia. So we're still in the dark about the chlamydia. To be fair, we do have Google, so... Yeah. <laughs> we absolutely have Google. We're yep. totally relying on Gary for all things Australia. <laughs> Poor Gary. <laughs> I totally could have picked up my phone. Even all those weeks ago and I looked. Thank you, Gary, so much. So I like to poke fun on Facebook at Tash about her weird fears. She likes to bully me. Oh, it's all done with love. I love Tasha to pieces. There's also another fear that I haven't told you about and I'm yet undecided to whether tell you. <laughs> well, whenever you make your mind up, I cannot guarantee that I'm not going to take the piss out of you. Okay. But So I put a post up on the Facebook page about getting chased by a rooster. Gary, talking of Gary, came back and said he's scared of spiders. And I'm like, Gary, man, you live in Australia. That's where the worst ones are. Yeah. Everything can kill you. Also, is that irrational? Like, I know it's an irrational fear because... But being scared of a cockerel is... Well, it is and it isn't. It isn't irrational. They're horrible. I'm scared of geese. Geese are larry. Geese are Larry. Yeah. Geese would be that man in the pub that maybe doesn't start the fight, but whenever the fight's happening, he's there in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, or if you accidentally bush into him a little bit with his drink and he'd be like, who the fuck are ya? Ooh, what? Yeah. Ooh, what? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I don't think yeah. being scared of cockerels is an irrational fear. I think feeling queasy about weird socks <laughs> is irrational. <laughs> I don't think being scared of cockerels is irrational. But Gary said he has to get his wife to take the spiders out because he's he's too frightened of them. And he lives in Australia. And his wife is from Manchester, so whoa, whoa big up Mrs. Gary. Yeah. Oh, go go Mrs. Gary. She she is not scared of those Australian spiders. No, that that's cause she's from Manchester. Hard as nails. Mm-hmm. Hard as fucking nails. And then some guy was like, Oh yeah, geese and cockerels and he said something else and then he said rhinos and then he just left it at that it was jason that was who said it jason and rhinos i said jason you can't just bring in rhinos to the conversation and not give us some context (laughs) (laughs) um jason's like that and then he's just exited from the chat which is literally what i do yeah all the time i'm like oh yeah here's this piece of information bye yeah (laughs) i'll leave you with that but I got the story from him, and he's so casual, like... So I was on this safari, and uh, we were trying to track down this rhino, and the tracks ended, and then this rhino just charged at us out of the bush, and people were scattering everywhere, and the rhino had a baby, and it was all pissed off. Rhinos are, like, one of the most dangerous animals in the world. We agree? Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't I think want to get, get in its way. Side of a rhino. You don't want to piss off a rhino. And he's like, no. oh, yeah, lol lols and i'm like mate it's all about the mental you nearly died and he's like oh i oh i <laughs> i fucking love jason <laughs> <laughs> so cash you nearly died by rhino oh my god did i tell you about the time that i got me and my sister got chased by a herd of cows no <laughs> 
Well, it's not as cool as the rhino story, but we were in Cornwall on holiday and uh, we went to the beach and then we were coming back up to our campsite and you had to cut through these fields and we'd been down on the way down, no cows. Yeah, me and my sister Laura, being teenagers, were a lot slower than the rest of the family, so we were right at the back. And uh, everyone else had jumped over this fence into the next field. And I don't know how the field did this, but it, the field that we were in and just come out of, there was another field that was wrapped around it. So as we jumped over the fence into this little middle field, a load of cows from each side of us, almost like a curtain, just started closing in on us. Oh no, man, that's bad news. Yeah, I don't know if they were the the lead cow was in the army because they closed in on us <laughs> like something out of Game of Thrones or a, you know, a war movie. They planned the ambush. My dad said that he was in the next field and he turned around and he could see us. And we were kind of, our heads were going from side to side thinking, oh, sh-, like faster and faster. These cows were <laughs> closing in and it was all getting very stressful. So we didn't run because then the cows would know what was going on. So we just started walking faster and faster and we just got over this stile and they all closed it and they're like, and the the two sides of cow wall clashed together and we just made it over the fence. It was like a film. That's scary. And then they all stared at us and started picking their noses with their tongues. Nice. That's what cows do. Yeah. There was also Lynette who said she got chased by a bull. Equally terrifying. I think bull would be more terrifying than cows. Well, I don't know. One bull or multiple cows? I don't want to be chased by anything, to be cows. fair. Cows. You just need to be bold with cows and just go do this. I'm going to move back from the mic because it's quite loud, but you basically just have to do this. Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! And they'll move. <laughs> or like the French farmers where they go, are you? Hello, hello. Yeah, yeah, basically. There you go, guys. That's your how to survive a cow charge. Yeah. Just shout at them. Yeah. Just shout at them, but listen, I said it once. I'll say it again. I'll say it a thousand times. Just you've got to be confident in all these situations. Not with a rhino or a bull. With a rhino or bull, you just run. I will tell you where I'm not confident, though, and this is tapping right into my next fear on a set of stairs that are not my own oh yeah i don't like that go all wobbly my legs don't work properly and they're like i am that person at the top of the stairs that just cannot go down them what even backwards why would you go backwards (laughs) why the fuck would you do that (laughs) i'm like oh this is scary i'll just make myself nearly die easier Why do you sit sit on your bum and slide down? Look, you go up the stairs frontwards, you go down the stairs backwards. It's perfect. What, you go down your stairs backwards? Yes, I do. Everybody does. Are you on fucking crack? (laughs) She's lying. People don't go (laughs) down stairs backwards. Are you talking about spiral staircases or just like a normal down and to the side? Any staircase that I don't know. Any staircase that I have not been up and down more than several times well how do you get acquainted to a staircase do you have a little conversation with it at the bottom be like you're going to be are all you steps even or is one a catch me out step well so like i worked in a hotel previously and there was multiple staircases 
there was some staircases I went up more than others. And so I was acquainted with them. We were friends. It was cool. The back staircase, I did not enjoy. And I was scared to go down. <laughs> Nobody enjoys the back staircase. No. Listen. Well, you know. I mean, that's a lie. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you got fingered there, didn't you, mate? Eh? Yeah. What fingered in my back staircase? Leather Allure loves an old back staircase. She can't get enough of it. Leather Allure does not reveal her secrets. Does not reveal her staircase to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Only the most privileged will see the stairs. (laughs) How did you overcome your fear? Does someone have to come with you the first time, Tash, and hold your hand? Uh, I basically just have to sum up the courage to go down them. Do you know what I think that is? I think in a past life you died from falling down the stairs. Well, I mean, I have known this as an issue because I've been with people and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, for starters, you're not going down backwards. That's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't do that, Emma. Um, Tash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, don't give a shit about me. You go down and backwards. Well, it sounds like you do it all the time, Emma. (laughs) I do. It makes perfect sense. You go up forwards, come down backwards. Jesus. I think you're right. Do you do the same in the car? Like when you go fucking an hour, an hour away in the car, do you reverse all the way home? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sticking with my logic. Yeah, I want to talk about your case last week, Becky, because it has plagued my existence ever since. I've had nightmares about it. I keep having nightmares about kids dying oh god i'm sorry (laughs) no it has it really got to me that one and because obviously i do the editing so i had to re-listen to it and you have to re-listen very carefully when you're editing because we make some weird ass noises man (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly yeah like that (laughs) (laughs) i have come to the conclusion that the only explanation for that case is that the umbrella seller took her because he openly said that he was going to take her, right? On the day that she went missing. I'm going to take you to another family in another town. And then she goes missing. Suspicious. It's a bit more than suspicious, if you ask me. And you say the townspeople then started gossiping about a rich couple that had bought her and because their kid had died, right? Or, or taken her because her kid had died. Yeah. But that was just gossip, but there's no smoke without fire. Yeah. So it's got to have come from somewhere. It's not just somebody's made that up. So I think possibly somebody's paid that umbrella guy to get that little girl. The little body was their dead child. They took her clothes off, folded them neatly next to the body. You know, when they felt like they might be getting caught, so they had to like make a distraction. So they used this dead child's body took anything away that could identify her, i.e. head, hands, etc., made everyone believe that it was little Pauline, and then they took the real Pauline to Cherbourg. I don't know why she ended up in that stairwell, but I think that little girl in Cherbourg was the real Pauline, and that she had some kind of trauma, PTSD, Stockholm Syndrome, that made her not recognise her real family. But as Tash said last week, it's not just her parents that recognised her. All her siblings recognised her. It's the same child. 
It has to be, without going into supernatural and paranormal explanations, because that's highly unlikely, right? Mm. So it has to be the same child. I think so. I think your theory is very, very plausible, actually, Em. So they got their little girl back, but here's where it gets fucked up. Once they found that body, they were there, then convinced that it wasn't their little girl, so they sent her a fucking way. Yeah. And she died. So they had their kid back and they sent her away again because they thought it wasn't her. Well, that's horrific. Because she was messed up in the head. Yeah, because she was just fucked up in the head. Because, yeah. and I can tell you for a fact, when COVID hit, so obviously my two kids, my eldest child is used to be bilingual because she's grown up in France. She was born in France. She's, you know, always been to school in France. And we started homeschooling. And I can tell you in kids, they lose that language so quickly. Oh, Esme was fluent, completely understood everything when we left France. I mean, I know it has been six years now, but lost it so quick. Yeah, well, when they're not speaking it all the time, they lose it really quickly. Freya would have been, Freya's my little one, she would have been about the same age. She'd have been about two when COVID hit. She'd go to the childminders who spoke French and Freya understood everything. Yeah. She doesn't speak a word of French now because she's been homeschooled. So I know how quickly a child can lose the language, especially a two-year-old. So if she was away for a month, that's enough, especially with trauma. Mm. Yeah. And that has plagued me that they had they sent away their own child. Well, that's a very haunting take on the story. None of them are going to be happy, are they? So No, well, not, not, but it could have been. If they hadn't planted that little body in the field, they would have just kept her, wouldn't they? Mm. probably yeah i think they were having doubts they but i don't know i don't think they would have said anything about their suspicions if they had any unless before that body was found you know they could have had suspicions because their personality changed kids personalities changed under stress again i'm seeing it now i've sent my kids back to school my little one who doesn't speak french is really struggling she hasn't got the same personality because she's going through stress. Yeah. She's gone from being this bubbly, happy, happy, fearless, you know, not shy little girl to a timid, quiet little thing that cries all the time. Now, that sounds horrific. She will get through this and we're helping her through it. But I'm just saying, you know, when kids go through stress, it they don't act the same, do they? No, definitely not. It definitely can change them. So... Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot. I think that was my, I wouldn't say my favourite case that you've done, but the one that's stayed with me. Yeah, it was quite a, an, an intense one to work on. I think, I, I don't know if I mentioned, I think I mentioned it last week, there was a point where I got most of the way through it and didn't want to do it anymore. But then I'd got so far through it that I just thought, no, she needs to be, needs to be told. I think the only thing that's better with my theory is that the little body that they found without the heads and arms would have already been dead in my theory yeah when they did that to it so it was literally done so that they couldn't recognize the child that had already died so anyway yeah speaking of murder yeah do you want to hit us some with some more no (laughs) not doing that anymore now before we get into the murder, sorry, completely forgot my horror song from last week, the 90s girl band song. Yes. Nobody got it, unless you guys got any answers. 
I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't get any by email for it. You didn't get any by email no. and I didn't get any on Facebook, so nobody got it. And you'll never know what it was because I'm not going to tell you. It was All Saints. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hard one it was hard it was and it wasn't because that song was everywhere in england in the 90s and i did use quite a lot of the same lyrics and anyway one of the lines in that was black hole i keep going through the conversations in my head and I've heard that this feeling won't last that long. Never, ever have I ever felt so low. So that was the song. There you go. Nobody got it. Has anyone replied about mine? No, but I only posted it this morning. Ah, see. People need to get on that shit. I want to know. <laughs> right. Murder. Murder, murder. Yes. Yes. Right, so I'm gonna, I did this case, it was half because of a, a request, and also going back to our first episodes where I think, Emma, if you mentioned this, or whether you did a whole case of this, because I can't remember, The Exorcist, and what happened on the scene. Yes, I was the one that told you there was a serial killer that played, that was in The Exorcist, he's the radiologist. Yeah, but did you do a whole episode about The Exorcist? No. Oh, yes, I did. It was the true story behind The Exorcist, but it wasn't about the film. Yeah. Okay. Because so I just recap it slightly at the beginning, and I didn't want to go through it all if you hadn't done it yet, but I, I swear that you did. Anyway. I talked about the, the film The Exorcist being cursed. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. And yeah, so it was that story. The story of the serial killer in The Exorcist was actually requested by Joey. Yeah. So I thought, hey, that's a good idea. I'll look into that. After 54 episodes, why not? Yes. <laughs> a little bit late. Yeah, so a year of episodes almost. Almost, yeah. 54. So in 1973, The Exorcist opened in cinemas. Best film The highest ever. grossing film of its time. The horror movie was believed to be cursed and had problems from the beginning. So I'm just going to, like I said, I'm just going to recap what happened during the film, just to kind of... I mean, as I said, I think it was episode one, so just nobody's going to remember. I don't remember. During filming, nearly everything went wrong. Part of the set actually set on fire and burnt down after a bird flew into a fuse box. That part of the set had to be rebuilt and caused production issues and set filming back significantly. Jason Miller's father, Kara's son was almost killed in a mo when a motorcycle hit him. Ellen Burstein received severe injuries during filming. Linda Blair, who was the little girl in the film, was also injured during filming, partly because of the restraints, you know, when she's kind of flopping around on the bed. Oh, yeah, I don't like that bit. Yeah, well, she had, like, restraints tied to each side of her that were being pulled, which is why she had that kind of ragdoll effect. Yeah. And they were doing that for hours. And so she was injured quite badly during filming, and she still had back problems over 10 years later. Oh, shit, I did not know that. Yeah. The mum broke her back, the, the lady who played the mum. There was yeah. a scene where she got through into a wardrobe and she l lets out this almighty scream, and it's on the film. Oh, God. That scream is authentic because she actually broke her back. That's a joke. They were not getting paid enough for that shit. Yeah. Vasilsky Malirus, who starred as Father Kara's mother 
and Jack McGowan, who played Burt Dennings, both died as filming was being wrapped up and never saw the finished movie. I mean, that's sad, but they were both quite old. So Yeah, still sad, though, when you've worked on something you don't get to see at the end. And after the film was released in cinemas, many people vomited in their seats while they were watching the film. I think that's over dramatic. Yeah, I think that's people being <laughs> being weak. <laughs> and one woman broke her jaw when she screamed so badly and then she passed out in fright. So she basically dislocated her own jaw from screaming and falling and then fainting. That's fucking more terrifying than the film. Yeah. Jesus. The film was a huge success and is now a horror classic. It is. Linda Blair was only 14 at the time of filming and didn't fully comprehend the effect the film had on people who watched it. Yet she was expected to comment on the film, you know, as as they were trying to get a 14-year-old girl to comment on the film when she didn't really understand it. And I don't even know if she saw the whole thing at the time. Yeah. And she was getting accused of glorifying Satan by playing the little girl. And as a result, she received tons of death threats. Jesus. And had many people shouting at her and being generally creepy. Look, if you're sending death threats to a 14-year-old girl, you need to pack it in. Mm. That's fucking sick, isn't it? But I do always... I find it strange that kids are in horror films. You'd think it'd fuck them up in the head, wouldn't you? Yeah, I find it really, really strange. Like, how do they get them to do that acting and it not terrify them? Yeah, I saw a documentary on this years ago, and I don't know how true it is, but I remember, I remember the director coming on was talking on this documentary, and they said that they made sure that that she didn't see herself when she was in makeup, like full makeup, and I don't think she saw the film straight away. Because she was only 14. Well, she wasn't old enough to watch it, was she? She wasn't old enough to watch it, yeah. I think that's why she was confused as well when people were asking her questions about it, because she hadn't seen the full film. And how how did they explain, like, jabbing your vagina with a crucifix, I, I, I wonder? I don't know how that was explained. She still had to do it. Unless it was a body double, that part. I'm not sure. But yeah, so anyway, people were treating her like absolute shit and then people go too far with stuff it's a fucking film it's a film and she's a child seriously and she's a child even if she wasn't though it was a film yeah a horror film so i don't know whether it's just it wasn't even like it was the first horror film in the world i think it just shows that she was a good actress that people believed it so it got so bad, so she got to the point where bodyguards and the police would have to patrol and like live at, live at her house with her to keep her safe. People need to fucking pack it in. Yeah, people would follow her down the street and heckle her about the her role in the film. Bastards. And just treat her basically like shit. Despite all of what I've just said, there is one more evil presence that's in this film that we didn't know about until a few years later. So unbeknownst to the film's directors, they had actually hired a serial killer as part of their cast. (gasps) Paul Bateson, born on the 24th of August 1940, Paul grew up in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. He joined the army and was stationed in Germany in the early 60s. And apparently he became an alcoholic out of boredom. 
while he was there. What else do you do when you're bored but drink? I don't know. Maybe it was all the sausage and cheese for breakfast and it just put you in the mood to drink beer and wine. And the beer in Germany, they, they do give massive beers. Yeah, you ask for a little beer and it's big beer. It's big beer. They do love beer. And so do I. <laughs> have you have you been to Germany? I have, yeah. What's with all the meat and cheese in the morning? Do you remember that? I never got the cheese and meat in the morning. I got all types of different bread. They had like a whole basket oh, yeah. of all sorts of different breads. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with a bit of sausage in the morning. Oh, no. But hold oh, the cheese. <laughs> Definitely hold the cheese. <laughs> oh, cheese. So he became an alcoholic out of boredom while he was in Germany. But he sobered up again when he was discharged from the army and t- returned to Pennsylvania. So in 1964, he decided to move to New York. So Bateson then trained to become a radiological technician. So the people that do scans in hospitals. Yeah. He got a job at New York University Medical Center, where it was reported that he was popular among his co-workers. He started a relationship with a man. The pair hosted parties at their home, spent weekends going off to... Long Island, and just being pretty happy in their little relationship. From the outside, anyway. Yeah, living the dream. Mm Mm-hmm. After several years, in 1972, director William Friedkin visited the University Medical Center, showcasing an upcoming film, which was The Exorcist. So he came to find out a few things about what tests he could possibly do on a child that was showing signs of being possessed. Like mental illness. Yeah. One of those technicians that he spoke to was Bateson. He was pretty impressed with him and asked him to be an extra in the movie. And of course, you get asked something like that, most of us would say yes. And he made an appearance in one of the Exorcist's most memorable scenes. He was the medical technician who was prepping Regan for a series of tests to determine if any of her troubling behaviour could be explained medically. And then Bateson is heard giving Regan instructions and providing bedside care and stuff like that. Apparently the scene was later praised by medical professionals for its accuracy and remains one of the most famous scenes from the film. Well, he knew what buttons to press, didn't he? He he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He knew how to press that button. He did. So he appeared on the movie. Unfortunately, his relationship with his boyfriend at the time broke down because of his constant heavy drinking and it eventually ended in 1973 after the release of the film. So... Weird coincidence that now Bateson is single, people started to be murdered. In the mid-70s, in Greenwich Village... Greenwich, I think, babes. It does say Greenwich, though. Greenwich. Greenwich? Yeah. I'm saying that, Greenwich. I'm I'm pretty sure. That sounds better than... Greenwich? Is that like a sandwich? (laughs) Yeah. Um, What kind of witches aren't green? (laughs) This one. (laughs) Oh, God, that was terrifying. (laughs) It's horrible. I'm melting. Oh, that was so good. Literally a witch. That was obviously a sound effect. (laughs) I've got to keep that in now just to have that snippet of you doing that. Please do. You must. Really good. I'm proud of it. It was. Yeah. You have to keep it as a sound effect for our Halloween episode. So mid seventies in Greenwich Village. 
Greenwich Village was a an area of New York that was known to be a LGBT area at the time that was experiencing a string of murders of gay men. A number of bodies of unidentified victims had been discovered. They had been dismembered and placed in bags and had been tossed into the Hudson River. These murders were rarely reported on, and can you guess why? Because they were gay men? Yep, gay men. So it's obviously not important. That's what they kind of saw it as. Great. And the nicknames for these murders were awful. And one of the nicknames was a body in the bag murders. Oh. And then the other one was, this is awful. And you might need to cut it out because it is a slur. It was fag in a bag murders. Oh dear. Isn't that awful? That's terrible. They didn't get reported on too much because the police couldn't be bothered. So on the night of September 14th, 1977, Bateson was out in a bar called Badlands on Christopher Street. It's a good bar name. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't mind going to Badlands. Yeah, I'd definitely be up for a bit of Badlands. Yeah. Girls, I hate to disappoint you, but I went clubbing at the weekend and we are probably too old. Yeah. Are we? I'm kind of tired just thinking about it, to be fair. Does it open up for... If it opens at four, I'm down. <laughs> what, at four in the afternoon? Yeah. <laughs> in the UK they open earlier, but I don't think that early. Did you remember the days of getting to the club at 2am, as they do here in France? Oh, man. And they're leaving Madness. at seven. And we couldn't leave till six o'clock in the morning. And it was fine. And we just did it. We were like, woo! And then we were up a few hours late and we're like, I'm not even a hangover. Bacon sandwich, A up. Yes, please. Keyless slammers before getting into the club so we didn't have to pay for alcohol. No, tequila is deadly. I remember puking in the middle of the fucking road after doing (sighs) tequila slammers right in front of the club. And it was a club we all went to. You know the one. The one with the revolving dance floor. (laughs) Yeah, the one with the revolving dance floor. The what one? I don't think you went there when it had a revolving dance floor. We went there together a few times, haven't we, Bex? Yeah, but I think it was after the revolving dance floor died. Oh. Even if you couldn't dance, because the floor was moving, it kind of made you look like you could dance. (laughs) That doesn't feel safe. Uh, There were two. There were two big discs and they were just going round and round. I used to go to that club every single weekend with my friends. Every weekend, no questions asked. That's where we were going. Isn't it mad? It was absolute madness. You know, in the room next to the main room, they had a slide in there. Yes, there was a slide. Yeah. And then I went to a um, a foam night. You know, when they filled the dance floor with bubbles. Oh, I was already oh. too old by then. I'd stop going. And then so they did that. And then I was like, I know what could be be a good idea. Now I'm all soaped up. Let's go on that slide whilst also being super drunk. And then the slide stupidly was opposite the bar. So I went down this slide at how I didn't set on fire. That's how fast I went. I went <laughs> like that. And because I did go so fast, I didn't sort of like slough off the end like what normally happens. You do a little roll and a flourish and then you... I just um, literally went horizontal through the air into a load of bar stools. Oh, babe. And nearly took out a dude and I had them huge bruise on my leg and bum. Oh, mortifying. But because 
alcohol, I just got up and was like, huh, that was embarrassing. Let's go back into, the- <laughs> let's go away now. And I disappeared into all the foam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once I'm in the foam, no one will know. No one knows me now, camouflage. I don't know if it's still there because it's, it's reopened now, but do you remember the swimming pool in there? Yeah, but I never went in that. <laughs> I've been in there. The swimming pool was definitely there when we went together. I remember Were it being there. Were people allowed in it? No. Not really. So it was a water no. feature. It's dangerous. Yeah. I think there was a point where you were allowed in it, but then I think for security, not security, insurance, you weren't allowed in it anymore because drunk people and water don't mix. No. I nearly died in the foam when I fell over and breathed it all in. You feel like you're drowning, yeah. but you're not drowning. I don't drowning. get the appeal of a foam night. I recently went on a date with a 30-something-year-old man who the week previous to our date had been to a foam night. And I have to say, that wow. gave me the ick. I mean, I did sleep with him. <laughs> <laughs> so not much that big. Not that much. Did he still froth up when... Uh... Oh, that, that's really personal, <laughs> Becky. Did he still froth up? Uh, of course he did. He's having sex with Gladys, man. I was going to say, you left one's Gladys. Oh. So I got on my story after that little segue into our youth. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, Bateson was out in a bar called Badlands, and in the early hours, a reporter called Addison Viril came up to Bateson and offered to buy him a beer. That beer became several beers, and then the two started doing poppers and cocaine in addition to the drinks, so it was party party time. Not just beer party, it was beer coke party. Yeah, because poppers, you can smell it, can't you? You can sniff it as well as... Yeah, well, they don't last long. Isn't it the stuff that dilates your bum as well? <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Fun fact. Yeah, there we are. I think, uh, you know, I think it was part of their plan with how they were going with their evening. Yeah. They wanted to party. So after this bar shut in the early hours, they went to an infamous club called Mineshaft, which was a leather club. A leather club is a bit like a bathhouse, you know, like a bit of a sex club where everyone dresses in leather and there are just normal everyday leather wearers and then there's the more hardcore people. You know, you kind of get a mix. A bit like bondage Yeah. Leather allure would like it. Oh, yes. So that's where she obviously was born. (laughs) (laughs) prancing about in her stilettos smoking her really long cigarette yeah i'm making a whole persona i'm getting morticia vibes but like leather yeah that's who she is leather i think i'm starting to fancy leather allure oh really yeah you liked that didn't you You like that a bit too much (laughs) i do see this is how you do you 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 lure us in yeah with your leather allure and then yeah. we work for you and you drain us of all of our money. <laughs> Pretty much. Anyway. Now, story, bitch. They're, yeah, they're in this <laughs> club. They're having a great time, continuing to party. Bateson is like, oh, well, everyone seems to know the guy that I'm with. He didn't realize that he was like quite a well-known reporter. And then he was like, hey, do you want to uh, go back to mine? So after two hours in this uh, leather club, 
They took a taxi back to Varil's house, a 17th floor studio where they drank, had sex and did more drugs until 7.30am. And respect that they only finished at 730 because I would have died long before. They both woke up the next day. Varil was doing the whole, well, get home safe. Awkward next day conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so when you kind of just want the person to leave so that you can go and lie on your sofa and be hungover. Do not have sleepovers. No. Well, I think it's because they were still partying until like 7.30. They just must have crashed. But when Bateson didn't take the hint, Viril was a bit more straight with him and said, look, hey, I'm not taking our relationship any further. We had fun last night, but I don't really want to see you again. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go any further with our relationship. It was no, just a bit of fun. Not looking fun. for anything serious. I'm a reporter. I'm cool. So that's when Bateson snapped and hit Viril on the head with a frying pan. And he went back to the kitchen to retrieve a knife, which he plunged into Viril's chest. Fucking hell. I'm getting Jeffrey Dahmer vibes from this Mega, mega Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm watching, I still haven't finished it, but it's almost copy and paste. Same kind of thing that he did, but he didn't drug his victims. Yeah. He then stole $57 from Viril's wallet. Woo! Rich. Yeah. And took his credit card, passport, and some of his clothes. He then fled his apartment, leaving poor Viril dead on the floor. Oh, Bless him. Dharma did that as well, take the uh, identity cards. Yeah. He loved a good little uh, trophy, didn't he? Mm. And kept people's heads in his father's photo box. Kept everything. Uh, Bateson is still an alcoholic, used the money to buy liquor and was consequently drunk for the entire next day and was spotted at a popular bathhouse that night. Viril's body was found later the same day. Police said that there was no evidence of forced entry. Viril had likely let in his killer uh, to the apartment so they probably knew each other. There were several empty beer cans and half uh, full glasses of liquor around the apartment. Viril's friend, Arthur Bell, was a gay activist and a journalist. He wrote an article about Viril's murder, setting it against the larger issues of how murders of gay men, especially with all the ones that are going on at the minute, are rarely taken seriously by police or even reported in the media at all. They're just seen as results of sexual encounters gone wrong. So he made this article, which actually got quite popular in this, um, in this paper, mm. which was just good. It got a little bit of recognition and also made the police look into things a little bit more. Well, he put the pressure on there, didn't he? Yeah. But they still weren't a hundred percent looking into it all the time, you know, but they'd made a little bit more effort than previously. So in an effort to get Viril's murder solved, Bell wrote the details of his last known location that he'd been at the mine shaft until at least 6am and trying to find witnesses and more information. Bateson would see this article. Eight days later, Bateson would call Arthur Bell and tell him that he's a killer. And he would say, I like your story. I like your writing, but I'm not a psychopath. Uh, which is what Bell had proclaimed in his writings. I disagree. Yeah, I hate to differ. Mm. 
So Bateson basically told the whole story of what happened to Arthur Bell on the phone. And so Bell then contacted police about the call. He said everything that Bateson had told him. He also mentioned the fact that the killer that had called him mentioned that he'd taken Viril's credit card. And also he described a white substance that was found on the floor in Viril's apartment that police could not identify, so they didn't release the info, and they didn't release the information to the public that the credit card was stolen. So it shows that it was the killer that was calling. Yeah, he knew stuff no one else could. Exactly. At 11pm the same night, Bell received another call from a different man this time, who called himself Mitch. He told Bell that the killer was a man called Paul Bateson, and he'd met Bateson a few months earlier at a detox centre. He said that Bateson was an unemployed x-ray technician and that he had called him earlier that day to confess the crime. The NYPD went to Bateson's address where he was found extremely drunk and when he was arrested, they asked him if he knew why he was being arrested and then he picked up a copy of the article that Arthur Bell had written and pointed it and said, well, this is probably why. So that's quite incriminating. Indeed, indeed. Mm-hmm. Police then arrested him and charged him with murder. At the time of Bateson's arrest, police all had also been investigating the series of murders and bodies that had been found in the river of uh, homosexual men over the previous two years. And they believed that all these murders were committed by the same man. None of the bodies had actually ever been identified, but police had traced the clothes on the bodies to shops in Greenwich Village. Greenwich only catered to the homosexual community. So that's how they found out where the bodies had come from, but they didn't know who the bodies belonged to. So the prosecution attempted to connect Bateson to the unsolved murders of these six men. And they said to him that if he confessed to the bag murders, that he would receive a shortened sentence. So the judge, Justice Morris Goldman, he sentenced Bateson to 20 years to life in prison for the murder of Addison Verrill, five years less than the minimum that the prosecutors had wanted. And the judge declared that the connection to the other murders would be too difficult to prove. So he didn't confess to them? No. I'm a little bit on the fence to whether he did do this or not. All right. Especially by the police. For them, he, he is the same person that had killed the, the the other people. Yeah. It's just he was still a bit drugged up from the night before and he hadn't had chance to get rid of the body. Yeah. And he was found before he could come back and finish the job. Right. So that's what the police said. They said that it is the right guy and he's the one that's been killing everyone. And also the fact that after Bateson was arrested and put in prison, all the body in the bag murders ended. No more. Oh. So that's a massive coincidence. I mean, it's correlation though. It's correlation. It's not yeah, proof. Because the guy who was committing those murders could think, oh, well, if he's taking the blame, now would be a good time to stop and I get away with it. Yeah. And I'll move to a different town and do, do it somewhere else because police departments don't speak to each other. Yeah. No one will know. But also it could have been him. Also, it could have been him. Absolutely. Did he, and he never admitted to it. He never admitted to it. No. Uh, and, but I do think he killed this guy. And then cryingly admitted it to someone. 
like straight away like he couldn't keep it well you know why would six other people be okay and this one made him fold i don't know it just he sounded like he was remorseful and regretted doing it yeah yeah i see what you mean so he wouldn't have just been on a massive murder spree beforehand yeah and then all of a sudden grown a conscience yeah then Oh. You never know. I don't know how um, these people's minds work. Well, you should. We're doing a podcast about it. <laughs> Bateson also appeared on the series Mindhunter. He was on that. Was he? Oh, I yeah. liked that. Yeah, I really, really liked that, that series. That so Bateson served 24 years and three months of his sentence. And on the day after his 63rd birthday in August 2003... He was released from Arthur Kill Correctional Facility on Staten Island. So after his release, what happened to Paul is unknown. He's completely, as far as we know, stayed out of trouble. And uh, if he was 63 in 2003, that would make him 82 at the minute. He could still be alive. Quick fucking maths. Go on, Beck. Yeah, I'd never thought of that because I I've just remembered the story of him killing gay people and putting them in bags and throwing them in the river, but it never really I never really looked into it well enough, but it makes perfect sense. Why would he admit to one and not the other? Yeah. I mean, I know that they do that. Serial killers withhold information as um leverage as leverage and like a power trip for them yeah but he never came clean did he no and i just think if you've murdered all those other people why i don't know like i said i just don't see why he would unless it was because of the alcohol that he said it that was part of his defense saying that when he was first arrested he was so drunk that he don't he didn't know what he said what he didn't say why? Because when he was drunk, did he confess to them then? No, he didn't confess, but, you know, when they arrested him, he, like, pointed at the article. Why would he say anything about that? You know, if he was trying to play it cool, you'd be a bit like, well... Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, I don't know why you're arresting me. Why? Oh, no. Well, this is going to be another bloody confusing one that's going to stay with me all week. Yeah. Because yeah, I thought, when I first looked into this, I thought he was a serial killer, and it's 100% proved. I mean, I don't have all the facts... Was it the whole, or oh, the police can't be asked with solving, you know, all these murders because it's gay men and they don't matter, so we'll just get this guy to admit to all of them and that takes work off us? Or did they really believe that this guy was responsible and they just didn't have the evidence to prove it? So it's a big, like, what do you think? Yeah. What if? Mm. I'll just read my sources very, very quickly. There was an article on backtostonewall.com about the um, Paul Bateson murders, one on suggest.com, Paul Bateson, the exorcist, real-life killer, and obviously Wikipedia. Good old wiki. And also a video on YouTube, which I will find and give to you later. I will link it in the description of this episode. How professional is that sounding? I'm trying to be a little bit better because I always forget my bloody sources. (laughs) So I've put them in a way that I can copy and paste them to a message for you. Perfect. 
perfect thanks for that and there you go joey that's the story the exorcist serial killer much gracias becky we appreciate you eternally yeah right shall i follow up with the black monk of pontifract part four let's do it let's do it do it do it so okay last week we left it bill bungay has bought the house yeah so he's the one that produced the film when the lights went out that's all about the Black Monk of Pontefract. Yes. He bought the house, didn't really believe it was haunted, but thought if it had been, it's not going to be haunted anymore. And then weird stuff started happening. And he noticed when he'd firmly closed the gate that it reopened and he kind of couldn't explain it and was beginning to think, mm, maybe there's something to this. Do you remember that? Yeah. I do remember. The next day, Bill was forced to call out a locksmith to the property as he too had lost his set of keys. Do you remember the documentary crew lost their keys and they ended up in a vacuum bag of a 70s vacuum cleaner that didn't work anymore? Yeah, that was a bit weird. Yeah. So Bill has also lost his keys in the house. So as he watched the guy change the locks, Carol wanders over for a chat. Carol's the next door neighbour. Bill told her all about the gate. And she said, yeah, Fred loves doing that. So do we remember that Carol is a psychic medium? I do remember that as well. I'm just, you know, making sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. So at this point, Bill feels like he needs confirmation that he's not losing his mind. And he organises with his friend Gordon Mack from Kiss FM to do a Halloween special from the house. They did a contest and the winners got to spend the night in the house with the radio show hosts. So everything was organised. Carol was there to give them all a tour. And whilst they sat in the lounge, a penny flew off the windowsill straight into the radiator and then rolled under the table. So they not only heard this happen, but all four. So there's the two contest winners, Gordon, the radio host, and his wife, Deborah. They all saw it. So it's already off to a good start. Through the night, the foursome chose wisely to sleep downstairs. The competition winners on the settee and the radio host got on the floor. Everyone heard banging and thumping all through the night, but Gordon, who was very down to earth, put this down to the central heating not being used for a while. Everyone had their own experience through the night, and in the morning, as they gathered for breakfast, they started talking to each other about what they'd seen or felt. One of the winners said that she'd seen a black mist float across the room, followed by a shadow of a tall man. Deborah, Gordon's wife, even though she had completely hidden herself under a duvet, which is usually a protective force field, right? Absolutely, the only place to hide a yeah. ghost. Serial killers yeah. are defenceless and can't, can't do anything. No, nobody can penetrate that duvet. Penetrate. <laughs> <laughs> penetrate. So even though she had done that, she said that she felt someone make circles on her back with their finger. <laughs> Just as Gordon was dismissing all of this because it had only been experienced by one person at a time, the TV turned itself off. He asked who had the remote, only to see it had been untouched and it was still on the mantelpiece. He went to turn the TV back on. However, he soon discovered that it wasn't just on standby. It had been turned off at the wall. Now, everybody that's not in the UK, I mean, I don't know what it's like anywhere else, but in England, you have switches on the plugs to switch them on and off. Yeah. 
which is highly annoying when you go to stay in England because I'm constantly forgetting to turn the bloody plug on. Listen, I've lived here for six years and I still forget because you don't have that in France. No. So I don't know if you guys have that in your parts of the world, but in England they do. So not only had the TV turned itself off, but it turned itself off at the wall without anyone going anywhere near it. So all four left that day believing that something paranormal did indeed exist at 30 East Drive. Bill was reassured that his friend Gordon confirmed that something was definitely odd there. At least Bill now knew he wasn't totally mad. So of course, all Bill's friends wanted to stay in the house and he obliged quite willingly. And it was rare that they didn't experience things in there. So much so that Bill started a guest book where each visitor could leave a note describing their time there. People wanting to use the house now began to spread to charities wanting to hold events there. This amused Bill, as the Black Monk was supposedly evil, but his infamy was now doing good work for various charities. And then, inevitably, paranormal groups wanted to start investigating the house. 30 East Drive even has its own paranormal team. So it's now 2016, four years after when the lights went out and premiered, and Bill still owned the house. He respected Fred, but also wanted nothing to do with him. He banned the use of Ouija boards in the house, for example. He did not want in any way to provoke Fred or make the haunting more active. That feels sensible. Very sensible. And in all the years of ownership, Bill has never actually spent a night in the house. Pussy. (laughs) You say pussy, I say sensible. (laughs) Do you know what would have been really funny if you'd said, you say pussy, I say whole, pussy, whole, pussy, whole. (laughs) (laughs) However, things were about to get real weird for Bill. He walked into his house unexpectedly just to make sure all was okay. He found his neighbour grumbling on all fours in the lounge. (laughs) Yes, he did. (laughs) He was picking up pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. Bill had decorated the house with lots of 60s and 70s furniture and filled the shelves with vintage games to look as authentic as possible, one of which was a jigsaw he'd bought at a second-hand shop. He had got tape all around the box to keep it closed. The box was still totally sealed, and yet every piece had been thrown around the room. Fred was using his party trick of the interpenetration of matter, like he had done many years before with Jean and the eggs. So Darren, do we remember who Darren is? He's Carol's husband, yeah? Yes. Big up, Darren. Welcome back. Yeah. So Darren took the tape off the box to put the pieces back. It's not like it mattered anyway. If Fred wanted them, tape or no tape, he'd take them. So there was a party of guests arriving that evening. Bill started washing up a few cups and things that had been left from the last group. As he was, he got an uneasy feeling like someone was watching him. But as he turned, all he saw was a domino materialise out of thin air and shoot directly towards his face, just missing him at the last minute. He couldn't believe it. This was totally inexplicable. This was no second-hand account from a guest. He had seen the domino appear out of thin air. That wouldn't be the last time he would experience such things. One time in Diane's room, three screws came out of the ceiling and whistled past his ears. And another time, a marble fell through the ceiling, missing Bill's head by millimetres, and hit the piano with such force that it removed the varnished surface upon impact. So these things are just falling through the ceiling, yeah? Are you getting my point? They're not falling from the ceiling, they're falling through it. 
Yeah, a bit like the keys in the house in France. What? Was that the chateau? Yeah. Okay. Bill was getting quite well known at the council estate. Some people would openly talk to him about how they thought the house was evil. Other people just refused to talk about it at all, whilst others said they didn't believe any of it. The conversation that was the most bizarre was a request from one of his neighbours. He said, We can see Fred running around at night behind everyone's gardens, and could Bill please keep his ghost on a tighter leash? Now, the interesting fact about this is Fred was following the underwater ground source. Do you remember? There's water that goes underground from the well to the old castle. I do remember. So what this guy is saying is he can see Fred running, but he's following perfectly this underwater ground source. But the idea of Bill being able to stop this is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> how, do you, how do you tell your ghost to pack it in? And you could possibly put this dark figure running down to the kids playing pranks. Only the black silhouette would run straight through people's fences. Oh dear. So creepy. One day, Bill was at the house with the housekeeping crew. That included Carol and Darren. He was chatting to Carol when suddenly, behind his shoulder, Bill saw a red ball materialise out of thin air and fly at his face, hitting him square in the nose. It didn't hurt and really was quite comical. So the team then sat in the lounge chatting and talking about their own individual experience with Fred when they heard a strange noise coming from the hallway, a type of a pop sound. Carol went to investigate and she saw her little granddaughter had wandered into the house and was trying to eat a plastic orange. So that's obviously what had made the pop. She'd popped it with her teeth. Carol took the fake fruit away from her and asked, who gave that to you? And the little girl replied, the man in black. It's a no from me. Now, I could go on and on about every single thing that Fred got up to in that house, but the story would go on for months and months if I did. He really was that active. But safe to say, the interest and coming and goings in the house had woken him up to his former self. People have caught many a spooky photo of black mists and disembodied arms after objects had been thrown. People have seen clocks start working again after years of not being used and were only in the house for decorative purposes. Dolls have been moved, turned to face the wall and one even been pushed into a lit candle. Religious objects have been moved around the house and thrown to the floor. Honestly, the list goes on and on with Fred. And I have got videos of all these things happening, so I will be posting them to our social media. Ooh. Yeah, some of the photos are freaky. I bet. It appears, however, that not all the activity can be put down solely to Fred. There are two little girl spirits who seem to haunt the house also. No one really knows why, as we know the house has only ever belonged to the Farrars, the Pritchards, and now Bill. But if you think back to Jean, when she agreed to the house swap, she was being plagued by the spirit of a little girl. Do you remember? They were both being muggy and not telling the other one that the house was haunted. I also remember that and I also agree that it was totally muggy. So could this explain at least one of them? Did she follow Jean? There is also a theory that they could be the Black Monk's victims. Ooh. Mm. But as the legend of his murders has no proof, there's no real way to know. Either way, there they are. 
Emma and Emily. According to psychics, they present as shadow people and have been witnessed by multiple people in the house as the little shadow person made its way through the house going to room to room through the walls. So people in the house would see her and then check the next room and sure enough she'd be there. There was an EVP captured of a child's voice answering seven when asked how old she is. If there are multiple spirits in number 30, it could explain why it's so active, but I hate the idea of little kids being trapped with Fred. That's horrible. Also, it's a bit weird because Sally said seven as well, didn't she? Maybe it's a a significant number. Yeah, it makes me feel a bit weird that two little girls are with Fred. It gives me the eebie-jeebies. Yeah, I don't like that idea at all. There has been a plethora of very disturbing images taken at number 30, but nowadays it's really easy with the likes of Photoshop, etc., to fiddle a photo to look like something it isn't. However, Bill has extensive knowledge of photography and is very skilled at debunking some of the pictures. The ones he can't debunk are truly terrifying because there's no real explanation for them. Many people have caught who they think to be the black monk floating about in the staircase and the landing. But also a man just sat reading a newspaper was caught in the kitchen when no one else was there. And possibly the saddest, most horrendous of all was caught by two women who went to visit the house. They weren't investigators per se, they just wanted to experience the house. They did, however, bring a full spectrum camera. So this type of camera captures all light, including infrared, and it can take pictures in pure darkness. These two ladies captured a picture of a little girl who looks absolutely horrendous. But more scarily, she appears to have quite a bad injury to her mouth. Now, the legend says that the monk would cut out his victim's tongues to keep them quiet. That's awful. And so, could this possibly be one of Fred's victims? Bill has taken a lot of time trying to find a way that the photo could have been faked, but he's come up with nothing. Unless these two normal ladies spent thousands of pounds in special effects to produce it and fool everybody, that's somewhat doubtful. They also experienced during their time there a jug refilling itself. They'd brought with them a little dog and they'd given it some water from a jug. The next time they looked at the jug, it was filled to the brim. It would appear that whichever entity was there at the time liked dogs and wanted to make sure the pooch had plenty to drink. Oh, that's nice. Now, the guy, I've just clicked, the guy that's just sat reading a newspaper, do you remember Joe Pritchard died in the house? Yeah. And we're going to see in a little while that some people have encountered someone that is claiming to be Joe. And that, to me, sounds like something that Joe Pritchard would have done, just sat in his chair reading the paper. Yeah. Sounds like a Joe thing to do. Well, it just sounds like a dad thing to do, doesn't it? Yeah, just like a dad thing, reading the paper on a Saturday morning or whatever he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Investigators that go to the house often will experience nothing or maybe just a few inexplicable footsteps. But that's all. But when they decide to leave, almost as if Fred or whoever wants to keep them there, something big will happen to draw them back in. In one instance, a group was packing up when they heard an almighty clatter coming from the hallway. As they went to check, a little doll's pram had been pushed down the stairs. 
Now, you could think one of the team could have done it, but it was caught on camera that was set up on the stairs, and you can clearly see that no one was near the pram as it fell. I will, of course, post as many pics and videos as possible to our social media, so I've got that video as well. Uh, What's the video like, though? Because some are absolutely terrifying, whereas others I'm a bit like, now, mate, you've um, attached a bit of string to the door and you're moving the door around. I haven't watched the video, to be fair, so I will watch it and let you know. Okay. Well, I'll post it and then I shall watch it for myself. Okay. (laughs) I don't know why (laughs) I think I've got to that point now where I'm just uh, a little bit tired and it sends me a little bit doo-wap. Everybody's being so witchy tonight. Yeah. Halloween's a-coming. It's a-coming, it's a-coming. So this brings us to Dale and Justin, who were two paranormal investigators, but with a twist. They actually do not believe in the paranormal, and they go to investigate places to debunk them. Oh, killjoys. Yeah. So they turn up to 30 East Drive with just this intention. They had been to the house many times before and collected little to no evidence, but just enough for them to be unable to debunk it entirely. So they decided to return one last time, for two whole days and nights. The first night, nothing exceptional occurred, but on the second, when they invited some more of their team to join them, including some ladies, everything changed. They started to get EVPs of a little girl's voice saying, Mummy. They got light anomalies. Drops in temperature also happened, but again, this wasn't enough for them to believe in the haunting. Whilst being downstairs, the group all heard footsteps and whistling from upstairs. Thinking that whatever was up there was trying to get the lady's attention, the two women went upstairs. But once they were upstairs, everything stopped, so they came back down again. Only for the noises to begin again, except this time, much louder. Heavier Mm. footsteps and lots more whistling. So the women went back upstairs, and again, everything stopped. This went on for some time until one of the women said, that's enough, we're not playing anymore, we're just going to ignore you. So seconds after she said that, there was a huge bang that literally made the entire house shake. The lampshades were swinging in all directions. The noise was unbearably loud. Dale had recorded the noise and sent it off to be examined. It was determined to be poltergeist activity. Unless Bill had the whole house rigged to shake and bang, but I doubt very much that he had the money or knowledge to make a whole building shake. After the house shaking bang, they captured an EVP saying Matis Gratis, which is Latin for Grateful Footsteps. Very strange indeed. Uh Dale and Justin left the house two days after, firm believers that the house is haunted by an entity, and it changed their entire view of the paranormal. Well, yeah, well, when you've seen it kind of firsthand, I can get why that had changed. Wait, that feeling the whole house shake, you can't really explain that one away, can you? You just can't deny it either, can you? No. So one morning, Bill received a call from Carol, next door neighbour, who's also the housekeeper. Yeah. Saying that she had no idea what those lads got up to last night in the house, but that Bill had to blacklist them from coming again, as she didn't get a wink of sleep. They were making so much noise. This group had consisted of three younger blokes and one of the guy's dad. These guys were big, burly chaps, and Bill assured Carol that he would not let them come again. 
But as soon as he hung up the phone with her, the phone rang again. And it was the guy who had booked the group in. And he began to explain what had happened to them the night before. When they got to the house, the dad found himself a nice cosy chair and he decided that that would be his spot for most of the evening. The three of the lads began exploring the house, making note of where things were placed. There were trigger objects placed around the house, one being a large polystyrene ball. This ball would move around the house and disappear completely during the night. The friends would always accuse one another, but as I said, these guys were big guys. They couldn't tiptoe about the house and not be heard. Heck, poor Carol next door heard every single footstep they made. And when they checked each other for the ball, of course none of them had it. The dad, not frightened by anything really, was just chilling in his chair when he felt a cold thing crawling down his body, ending round his ankles and scratching at them. What the hell? he shouted as he jumped up. They checked his ankles and sure enough, they were covered in scratches. We will see that ankles seem to be a bit of a theme in this house, which really aggravates my fear of something grabbing me from under the bed. Yeah. So the dad would not sit in his comfy chair again that night. Instead, he stood closely with the other three lads. They'd discovered a flat screen TV covered by a blanket. Thinking that they might possibly watch some TV at some point, they took the blanket off and folded it neatly next to the television. They all went into the other room, and upon their return, the TV was covered up once more. And not just covered in a messy, rushed type of way. The blanket had been placed perfectly and neatly over the television. The dad decided at this point that he'd had enough, he was tired, and he was going to leave the other three to it, and went up to bed. This lasted about ten minutes before he came charging down the stairs, saying there was no way he was staying up there alone. He could hear footsteps and men talking on the landing. The other three had been downstairs, nowhere near where he was in bed. So they all decided to go upstairs and check it out. A huge gust of wind blew over all four of them and shot into Diane's old bedroom, where they all saw the quilt fly up in the air and flip and then land perfectly on the bed. They were all dumbfounded about what they had just witnessed and it was decided that they would all sleep together in a bedroom that night. Once all set up for sleep, the dad once more would see something completely bizarre. A ball of orange light floated around his face and then shot through a closed window. They could also hear chairs being dragged around downstairs but decided against going to check it out. I don't blame them. No. That's good because that's what they do on a horror film. Someone would go downstairs alone and not come back. Ah, uh, yeah. Now these guys were just like, you can crack on downstairs. We're not checking. Yeah. One of them peeked down the staircase but saw nothing. He threw a football down the stairs saying, here, play with that, and went back to bed. When they woke up after a few hours sleep, they felt completely drained, almost like they were hung over. One of them went to make everyone a cup of tea. He left them brewing on the counter. And as everyone came down, they saw that every mug was overflowing with water and the counter was soaked. A bit like the water jug, right? Mm. They took this as their cue to leave. They were that convinced that ever since they had continued visiting haunted locations and gathering more evidence of the paranormal. The dad, however, has never been ghost hunting again. 
And the other three said that in all the years of ghost hunting, they have never come across another place as haunted as, as number 30 East Drive. And that is the end of part four. Ooh. I feel really sorry for the dad because I kind of thought I could see it as, oh yeah, I'm just going to go and go with my son while he's doing his little thing and I'm just going to have a really nice weekend, sat on my chair, doing my thing, and it all got ruined for him. Oh yeah, yeah, no, he, he, something crawled down him and scratched his ankles, which is absolutely horrendous. Yeah. I also felt really conflicted about ghost hunters because are they going to prove there's ghosts there or are they going to debunk it? I think it depends. And are they scared? One of the groups that went was going to debunk it, Dale and Justin. They were going to debunk it. That's what their paranormal group does. Right. They go around, they don't believe in the paranormal, they were going to debunk it. After spending two nights there, they came back and they were like, nope, that place is haunted. And that changed their views of the paranormal completely. Mm. Yeah. These other chaps, they're not even paranormal investigators when they went. They just wanted to... Just four homies looking for some fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And when they came out, then they became paranormal investigators because they'd experienced something that they couldn't explain. Yeah. So there you go. That's part four. I will try and wrap this up next week. I promise. I like it. Yeah, I like a series. Well, it's a good series. So I know, but five five parts is enough. I will try and wrap it up next week. Promise, promise, promise. Do you want my little song? Go on then. My little horror song? Yes. Okay, here we go. Oh, you. Beautiful you. You don't know how perfect you are, but I do. I've been watching you every single day. I watch you at night when you stay with him. He doesn't deserve you, but I do. I watch you walk, the way you move. It's breathtaking. I must have you. I have you now. What a disappointment you are. I can see through that fake smile, those fake promises, the games you play anything to let you go but I won't now you're gone and I'm lost I dream of your flawless face at night I've tried to find another you but I simply can't replace you what have I done I'm so cold and lonely without you and so I sit here and weep and weep and weep there you go and I have no idea. I've got a, a first guess, but there's a few songs that I think it could be. Okay, well, well, let's wrap it up and you can tell me afterwards. Sure. Okay. All right then, Tash, take us out, baby. Okay, so you can get us at Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. And they are all under SCSK underscore podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. And you can email Becky at over to you, Becky. Chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. Send us all your true crime or paranormal stories or suggestions or any true crime or paranormal stories you have of your own that I'd love to hear about. And also song suggestions if you don't want to use social media. It is true, it is true. We want to hear from you. That was fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed that, actually. I enjoyed it too. Yeah. 
Dracula. It's really good. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't. I don't do voices. So fuck knows where that came from. It was surprising. My eyes widened. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> She's doing a voice. Yeah, it's good. Shall we say, uh, do our outro in the Dracula accent? Well, I won't be able to do it again. I think that was just a one-off. Yeah. But anyway, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thank you very much. Stay safe, guys. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye. Bye.